Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. I have Jack Van Dam. Um, you're, go- you're in the private sector, correct? Correct, yeah. Um, and I'm actually mostly working with Gen Pop at this point. So uh, I'm a little bit different maybe than some of the other guests. So Jack, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. I uh, had some sessions this morning. Um, I actually had Kyle Murphy in here. I've uh, been training him, so if you follow him, uh, Warhogs56, I think this is handle on uh, Twitter. He was here for quite a while this morning. I uh, got a good session in with him, um, and then just been doing some stuff. I'm actually going through uh, OPEX's uh, CCP course right now, so been studying up on that a little bit, um, and that's, that brings me to right now. So That's what awesome. What did you say you were going, or what you were doing? What's that? What do you say? Uh, you were uh, certification course. What is that? Uh, OPEX. So OPEX is a uh, company that's um, putting out a lot of education on basically like programming in the sense that it's it's really accessible um, in, the, in the terminology that they use and the uh, the actual application of their programming. A lot of it is actually stemming from like more more of a CrossFit kind of side of things. Um, or at least that's how all their programming kind of seems. Um, like a lot of like mixed modal stuff, uh, a lot of aerobic training, and then just kind of like principles strength and conditioning. But if you can imagine, it's basically like if a private company were to take a kines, uh, like undergrad degree and cram it into kind of like a formal crash course. Um, it's a little bit more in depth than that. That was probably insulting for me to say it like that. Um, but I've, I've gotten some more things out of it and connected some more dots from you know things that I've learned in formal education um, that I think uh, that I think we're kind of missing um, in terms of like how to go and apply those different things. And it's a very interesting course. It evaluates a lot. Um, it goes into kind of the like mental and emotional side of um, how to do an assessment with people. So it's great for like general population and, and where I'm at being in the private sector and stuff like that. And two, if you want to get into training people that want to, you know, be competitive and like mixed modal um, training. So, you know, CrossFit athletes or something along those lines or even just team sport athletes as well. Um, it lends itself well to that. So it's been an interesting course so far. I would recommend it for anybody that's, uh, you know, especially in my position, working with more, mostly adults and things like that and wants to get a little bit more advanced and, and systemized and, and how you're, and how you're uh, programming. Okay. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah. So let's kind of kick things off, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you've been, okay. how'd you get into strength and conditioning, that sort of thing. For sure. Um, so I Bounced around to a few different schools in my undergrad. I uh, initially went to uh, Humboldt State and 
went to a, a Verona track scholarship and then went to a junior college down here in Southern California. I was there for two years. Um, I had started my career as like an engineering major. And then when I was at Cerritos, which is the junior college I went to, I ended up just kind of getting um, interested in kinesiology. I had torn my ACL uh, my senior year of high school and I had a really good experience with my physical therapist. And so I kind of started to discover that like kinesiology side of things, maybe it was like um, swayed towards going more towards the PT route. And then while I was uh, in junior college, uh, Mike Barwis, who I think was still at Michigan at the time, had a TV show uh, called American Muscle that came out and he was doing some strength conditioning things after he opened his facility and was doing some really cool things. And I just got super interested in that. And honestly, kind of went about it in a selfish way where I was like, oh, I was going to make me better at football. So I can, you know, get into kinesiology as a major and do that sort of thing. Um, and it'll, it'll benefit me. And then like, you know, maybe progress out along into the PT side of things. And then I uh, ended up getting a scholarship to a very small school out in Fremont, Nebraska, Midland University. I played there for two years, um, had a lot of fun and majored in human performance, um, got some more experience and I uh, got to learn under a great strength and conditioning coach, Morgan Bergen. He's on Twitter too. If you've, uh, follow him you should have him on here and I had honestly just such a great experience under Morgan that it made me want to go away from you know potentially going into the PT route to more of the strength and conditioning side of things um, I had always dreamed about working at a division one level I think we always do like everybody kind of does that um, or with a pro with a professional team um, but you know my senior year I didn't really have a plan to stay out in Nebraska. I'm from California and I didn't really have a plan either way, which way to go. I'd gotten some experience um, doing some internships, you know, with Morgan and then actually at a bigger box gym uh, along the lines of like a 24 hour fitness it was a Genesis health clubs. So did some personal training out there and then ended up actually moving back home. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, what kind of direction I went. So I got a lot of experience doing a lot of different things. I substitute, uh, was a substitute teacher for a little while. Um, did some strength and conditioning, coached football at a high school, my high school, actually the one that I went to. Um, started training at a group training facility that was just gen, gen pop um, and got experience doing that. And that was pretty interesting. Turned me on to that side of things and working with adults that I hadn't gotten experience doing before. Uh, I went and worked at a private sports performance facility for a while. And that was super cool because we got to work with everybody from like, you know, eight year olds to professional athletes. Uh, and then I was at a pretty big CrossFit gym out here for a, for a while there uh, and then started doing some personal training just by myself and then got an opportunity about two years ago with uh, my partner now to open up the facility that we have. And so I've been navigating that through COVID and everything along those lines. Uh, during that time, I also went and got my master's in sports, in, uh, sports management and uh, have been competing in uh, Olympic weightlifting for the last three years or so. Man, that's awesome. That's a, that's a hell of a roller coaster journey there. Thanks. Yeah. So um, you already kind of touched on this, but what are you doing to continuously learn in the field of strength conditioning? Man, I mean, really anything that's going to benefit like people that I'm working with and also uh, supplement what we got going on here. I mean, there are so many different things. Like we, we do a lot of group training, but we've gotten more so into personal training recently just because I've gotten some more fulfillment out of it. I've seen a lot more success um, not to come off as like arrogant or anything but the thing that i've noticed especially being in the private sector is like the proximity that somebody is to me as a client the more likely they are to hit their results right or they're, they're hit their goals 
Uh, and so that's, that's provided a ton of value to them. And it's something that like, I didn't enjoy doing, especially at the start of my career was doing a lot of personal training just because of the way it was structured at like a you know, bigger gym and stuff like that. And then branching out on your own, it's, you know, a lot of trying to schedule and figure these different things out. But now that we kind of have this home base, it's been a lot more fulfilling to do that. So we've been trying to get into, um, some more education through OPEX, uh, briefly considered doing active life if you're familiar with their work too. Um, just the course is a little bit out of the price range at the moment, um, but definitely something that's still on track. So I do have typically a list of things that I'm wanting to kind of knock out and then figure out how to implement in a really effective way instead of just like crossing things off of a, off of a list. Um, so they do have to be things that are relevant. So, you know, like precision nutrition, right, for example, did that um, so that we can give some guidance and how but on Twitter, I guess we'll argue with that about that a little bit, whether I'm supposed to do that or not. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, but if it's something that's going to help the people that I'm working, right, that, that, that's definitely the thing that's number one. Um, number two is how quickly can we implement it effectively? And then three is looking at like, well, what is the cost and everything like that? And if on the business end of it, it's actually going to make sense and have a return. Because, um, you know, for, for example, like I had my... My undergrad degree is in human performance with concentrations in sports marketing and management and strength conditioning, right? So from that path, I kind of, after graduating, had decided that I was going to go one of two, you know, either one of those ways. I was either going to go get a master's in kinesiology, right, or strength and conditioning, uh, or go the sort of more business route, which is what I ended up doing um, in sports management. The reason that I did that was because at some point after graduating, maybe a couple of years ago, um, had figured out that the path that I would need to take or would make sense for me to take after getting a master's in kinesiology wasn't one that I wanted to do. I, I had a couple of friends that did that and their goals were just a little bit different than mine. I had shifted and seen kind of in the private sector what was possible and, and, and gotten a more fulfillment out of doing that um, instead of going and doing, you know, all the internships and everything along those lines that'll get you potentially to that, you know, college setting if you want to do that route. Um, and I decided at that point, like, okay, I'm not going to be a head strength conditioning coach at the university level. I'm not really gonna, not interested in being a professor at any point. So the people that I'm working with, does it make sense for me to go get knowledge that's like way up here when what they need is here, right? No. So what does make sense is to go and figure out the business end of these things. So I'd consider getting an MBA for a while, ended up not being really what I wanted to do. I found a great sports management program down at uh, Cal State Long Beach over here, which is pretty local. And so I got into that program and that one has been far more beneficial for what I'm doing now um, and giving me the benefit of being able to hire people much, much smarter than me too. Um, I've had some great people come through here. Uh, one of um, Chase Sanders, if you're familiar with him at all, he's uh, at Cal Poly Pomona. He worked with us for a while. I'm very blessed to have him in the facility. Jack Noel is at uh, Cal State San Bernardino. He's their uh, performance director now as well. So I've been really blessed to be around a lot of people. And I think that if I had gone another route, um, I probably wouldn't be in that position to work with those guys. So it's, it's been a journey, but I, I don't think that I would have gone any other way. With it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I admire guys in the private sector because y'all take on sometimes a bigger task than some of us in the high school or co collegiate realms do. I mean, you're working from anyone from eight, like you said, eight years old to professional athletes. And now you're starting to talk about gen, you know, general population. So, I mean, right. you got a wide variety of people that you just got to, you know, rip off answers and 
you know, talk to every single day. So, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, it, you know, I think too, like there's, there's definitely a transition period if you decide to go that route and start working with adults, um, that are not competitive athletes, there's a pretty big difference in the way you would train somebody. And that like, this took a while to get through my head as well is there's a huge difference in the way, like the principles still exist, right? But the way that you're actually implementing things, the way that you're training people, even the way that you coach people and the way that you talk to them and relate to them, it's very different when you're dealing with a 15 to 22 year old athlete, right? Than when you're dealing with someone that's 47 and it's five in the morning and they're paying you to be here, right? And as well as their goal, their goal is just simply not the same. So the way that you, you know, the fueling strategies that you use for that, when we're talking about nutrition, right, are very, very different than what exists in the sports performance realm. The way that we're programming for people is very, very different than what exists in the sports performance realm. And where I think some kinesis programs fail is like pushing that end goal of getting your CSCS as the end all be all. When a lot of the people that I went to school with don't work with athletes at all, you know, including myself. And so like, I don't think that getting the cert is going to teach you a lot. I think most people would probably agree with that. Um, but what will is really getting that experience. I think people preach this on Twitter a lot. It's like, go get experience with a wide variety and be a generalist and everything like that. And I can tell you it's hundred percent true because whether you're working with someone, like I said, if it's 47 at 5 a.m., or you're working with an eight-year-old that doesn't want to pay attention, if you can teach either of those people how to perform any type of squat or hinge, like whatever it is, right? If you can teach those two people in those two scenarios how to do that, and your end goal is still to go work with high-level athletes, the time that you're going to have teaching a high-level athlete those movement patterns and like what you're doing and the intent behind the session and everything like that, it's going to be so much easier then if you go from there, right, and decide at some point, like, hey, this isn't for me, I want to work with adults, or I want to work with kids, right? And then you have to spend a couple, like, there's a big learning curve there to go from working with someone that moves well, is, you know, proficiently healthy, everything along those lines, and then go work with someone that doesn't want to pay attention to you, or is like, you know, tired at 5am and doesn't want to listen, or um, just not really super interested, or has never worked out before, right? Um, so I think, I think that is right. Like you do have to go and be a generalist. It is, it is a little bit more of a struggle. And, and um, the number one thing I would say for like people coming out of their undergrad is to like immediately ditch the ego of like, I have a degree, I've got CSCS, like da, da, da. I'm better than like, let's say personal trainers, for example, even like guys that have like a cert that maybe is not as like respected are doing fantastic work with people a lot of the time. Uh, and sometimes they're more familiar with what those individuals need than what than you are. Yeah. I kind of want to backtrack to your statement about the CSCS. Yeah. And I mean, we've, I've had a conversation with you about it, you know, reached yeah. out, talked about the CSCS, whatever. And that's really interesting that you talk about the CSCS being not the, not the end all be all. Yeah. Right. Right. Just because you have a CSCS doesn't mean that you can coach does not mean that you can, you know, effectively train someone to become better in whatever they're doing, you know, weightlifting, whatever. But, you know, in the training condition world, and we know this, the CSCS, those four letters, gives you leverage. Not necessarily an advantage, but leverage. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? Um, So I think... I don't know if it it gives you leverage. Like, define what you mean by leverage, I guess. 
like if we have two resumes, uh-huh. exactly the same. One has CSCS, the other one does not. Same yep. training experience, whatever. Which one will get hired? Right. So, I mean, that, 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 there, there needs to be context there as well. I yeah. think that the CSCS, I think, is, is, I mean, it's, I think it's the price of admission for a lot of the positions that are going. Uh, now, when you get into the private sector, uh, there's a million other sorts that you could have that people maybe respect equally. And those are going to depend on the experience and everything behind and the education behind the person that's hiring, right? So if you go to, a, maybe it's just a private personal training studio or something along those lines, and um, they're making sure that they want they want to hire the right person. If they have like a NASM cert or something and they, they think that's like the pinnacle, then they may be looking for a NASM cert. I've had discussions with people. In fact, like after I got my CSCS, I went to 24 hour fitness because I hadn't figured out like really what I wanted to do. This is when I was still um, substitute teaching and stuff like that. And I had kind of decided like maybe I was going to go back to school for uh, the PT thing. And so I had like in the same day applied at a junior college to do uh, some missing prereqs of like science courses that I needed. And then I was like, I'm just going to go do that. And I'm going to go work with 24-hour fitness. And I'm just going to be a personal trainer. And I went in there with a degree in human performance and a CSCS. And they asked me to show them my degree. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell does that mean? So, yeah, they were looking for my diploma. So this, is, this is how bad it is, right, in the private sector. But we can talk about this, right? They asked to see my degree. And I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You want to see my diploma or like my course list, like whatever. They wanted to see my actual diploma. And I was like, bro, I could just make one. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Then I told them that I had my CSCS and they didn't know what that was. So it's important. But to me, it's it's just as important as if like, like at some point when I was working at a CrossFit gym, I told my dad that. You know, I it was I forget who I was even talking about, but it was some cro- big CrossFit athlete at the time. And my dad was like, I have no idea. They had come to the gym. And my dad was like, I have no idea who that is, dude. And it's true because it's like outside of that world, it doesn't mean anything. So none of the people that I've worked with in, in the general population have ever asked me what my certifications are, right? Like we've had a little bit of a discussion. They know that I have a degree in this, in this stuff. Um, they have no idea that the NSCA even exists. They definitely don't know what a CSCS means. They maybe know what that there exists, like like personal training certifications exist, but they don't know, like, I don't know, is ISSA better than NASM, is better than NSCA, is like, and where those tiers kind of lie. Um, so to your point, like, I think if you're going for a job in, in you know, a school setting or something like that, then it opens the door and it's again it's like the price of admission and it gets it gets your foot in potentially but i don't i don't know that it gives you so much leverage i think and then if you go to the private sector what it really does is allows you to like cover your ass and get like liability insurance and things along those lines um but is it like the only one that would do that no i don't think so in fact i've seen you know before like when I was still thinking about going the route of being in the college setting was like, you could apply for this internship and you could either have like your CSCS or your USA weightlifting level one. And like those two certifications couldn't be any more different to me. And so like the fact that you could have either or kind of told me like, well, okay. I mean, if I can go get my USA weightlifting level one, right. 
and that's you know at the time five hundred dollars and takes me a weekend to get why wouldn't i just go do that instead of go pay however much to get a bachelor's degree and then pay to get the cscs and then you know most people have to retake it two or three times whatever and wait this amount of time between and have to pay the you know and then you have to pay your cpus and all these different things um do I think it's a quality certification? Of course, but, and I keep mine current as well. And most of that's for that cover your ass part of it. But um, I, I don't in particular think that it teaches you a whole lot. I think if you have a quality kinesiology or human performance program that you've gone through for your undergrad, then fantastic. Um, but uh, like Jerry uh, Filippio is all, obviously doing awesome work and is like, you know, all, all the time, like, oh, I don't have my CSCS. In fact, I don't think that he has a, his degree, I, I believe, is in business. I don't think that it's in uh, human performance or kinesiology at all. So I do think that there, and, and he's a unique case, obviously. Um, but I think that there's more like on the job training that goes on than people even realize. And that, I, that was a learning curve for me too, like getting into the private sector, especially and trying to train people. Uh, you don't write a lot of programs that are implemented even in your undergrad. So when you don't have that experience and you get in here and you're like, all right, dude, like I have Sistine Chapel of like programs that I think would be incredible. And they're like, this is it. This is the end all be all. And then you go and you try and deliver that to somebody. And it's just like, Hey dude, you programmed pull-ups and back squats on the same day. And we only have four racks and they have the pull-up bar and now the people need to squat in it. Right. There's like logistics that go on. There's people aren't going to, you know, maybe be here all of the time. So you can't use the same periodization model that you maybe were thinking about using. You need to make those edits. And that really only comes with experience. It doesn't come with, doesn't come with the certification. Right. Absolutely. I liked your comment about uh, the programming side of things, right? You can have this perfect, just decked out programming. Right. More times than not, it's not going to go that way at <laughs> all. Like yeah. before I came in my job right now, I had a full year. Of yeah. football strength conditioning like yep. total like periodizations everything exercise selection the whole whatnot right and by probably week two it was thrown out because yeah. nothing is going to be perfect at yeah. all in yeah. the real in the real world it, you know nothing's going to be perfect that's why i don't care about the cscs too much because mm-hmm. the cscs lives in that perfect situation that perfect world it does and i think a lot of like you know when i when you're studying it too, it's, it's actually really interesting to me because of the experience that I've had with like CrossFit specifically. Um, a lot of like the intensities and the rep ranges in these, in these different things are, I mean, there are people that, and, and you can talk about neuromuscular efficiency or whatever it is and you want to attribute this to, but like I've seen people take their 80% back squat max for 20 reps, right? And if you're reading the essentials of strength and conditioning, I mean, that should be unheard of. The ketogenic diet should be unheard of. Like, so, and then they test you on these things and you get graded a pass fail on whether or not you kind of agree with that in the test. So like taking, taking the actual exam to me at certain points, I had to make concessions on like, I mean, this is the, I know that this is the answer that you guys want. So I'm going to put it, but it's like in practice, it's, it's not really how things are going. Right. Um, now that's not to discount the quality of information that's in that text. Right? I think that all of the principles that are in there are a fantastic base for people to get behind. I was listening to a podcast the other day 
Um, it was Invictus Mindset, and the guest was PJ Nessler, who's the performance director at XPT. I've been lucky enough to chat with PJ a couple of times and meet him in person and stuff like that. He's an extremely smart guy. And um, what he was talking about was when he was kind of early on in his career was talking to coaches and asking why, right, when he was an intern. And he had some coaches that had been doing it for 15 or 20 years, and they were fantastic at it. And what they had been telling him when he would ask, like, why are we doing this exercise at this time like this, right, um, is that, like, that's just kind of how it was, right? Or he would ask to see the plan, and, it, you know, maybe they gave him the excuse of, like, well, I don't write a program. I have, like, maybe there's a skeleton or something, but I don't write a program because it always has to be edited. Uh, and his point to that was that it was a cop-out. and the reason that's a cop-out is because if you don't have the plan, right, then you don't really know where you're going, right? If you get in your car and you decide that you want to drive somewhere and you're at point A and you need to get to point B, then you put it in the GPS, you find the most efficient route, and you go ahead and you get there. And after an hour or whatever, you arrive at your point, or at least very close to it, right? You know, if you just get in your car and you aimlessly drive around, you probably come back home and you're right in the same spot. Now you've wasted an hour. So what the CSCS does in studying for that exam and reading the information that's in that text is going to provide you is the ability to navigate, right? And figure out like how to create that path towards point B, right? And it might not be perfect. And again, there's a huge learning curve all the time. Um, but if you don't have that and you don't decide that that's valuable to create plans like that, then you're never really going to get anywhere and neither are your athletes. That's a fair point. That's actually a fair point. I never or never heard someone describe you know the CSCS and its text like that. So that's that's actually a really good point as you know for defending that right. certain cert, you know certification. Um, kind of redirecting things. Uh, what were some of the important things that you learned on the business side of strength and conditioning in the private sector? Oh man. Um... I mean, so there, there, there's definitely things that we struggled with. Uh, obviously, like, I mean, I think the marketing is, is the biggest one, right? And I, and I think that there's one specific aspect of marketing that is absolutely the biggest one. And it's being so sure of what your target market is and then being able to create a message towards those people. Because I think everybody gets into this and they're like, why is like i want to help people and that's like fantastic but you can help people in like in finances and relationships and health and like so many different things are going to help people right but it needs to be specific to who you can help and who you can help best um and unfortunately being a generalist makes you get into this mindset where you can like pretty much help anybody right which is probably true but just because you can doesn't mean that you should or doesn't mean that that's what you should put out there so for example, like I have had people ask me, hey, my, you know, nine-year-old uh, is playing soccer and really like, I'd love to get her in here to do some training. And I tell those people no, and I refer them out to someone else because I could do it. I don't really like want to, right? I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I just know that it would detract from the other things that I'm doing to the point that it wouldn't be as beneficial for me to take that client on as it would be for me to refer them out to someone else and then create relationships, which I think is a second piece that people miss a lot. You get into this and like, I am, you know, 
have a really good rapport and back and forth with a gym that's probably eight miles away from here or something like that. Like, I mean, they're awesome people. And I think the thing that people get into is they start like really trying to compete with everybody. And, you know, based on your location, that might be a little bit different. But for me, there are like 3 million people in Orange County. Um, if you can't get like a hundred of them into your facility, that's more of a you problem than anyone else problem. And so the way that I like to view all the other gyms in the area, because we're doing something different and I know that everyone's doing something different, you know, people don't know that until you get in here, but I know that, um, I, I start to view everybody as colleagues instead of competition. Um, I don't, I don't think that any of us are doing anything that's like ridiculously different. And if somebody's doing something, you know, wildly wrong, then kind of just leave them alone but um i think those two things are probably the biggest challenge is like just controlling what you can control and making sure that your product is the best and then being able to create relationships outside of your four or outside of your four walls um and then really creating the message that you're going to send out there because like you said we're in a little bit different position like i don't have kids coming in every august because you know they're going to be in ninth grade or whatever it is um I need to go and get people and like that costs money and that costs effort and it costs time and you don't want to waste any of that. And then if you're not good at it and you don't get to do it that long. So, um, you know, there is a little bit of a challenge there in the past so that you can figure out exactly who you want to be helping and how, then you're going to be in a much better spot. Yeah. So how has social media, especially like Twitter, Twitter has really blown up in the strength conditioning world. I mean, has that really, helped you or really given you any, I hate to say the word leverage, but a little bit more leg up in the game since having a bigger presence in social media? Um, Twitter, yeah, Twitter's interesting because Twitter, like, tw hmm. so Twitter, I think, is a fantastic, so for me, it's been a fantastic place to find online clients because of who I'm talking to. It's also been a really good way to know. I think for most people, it would be a horrible way to find clients. I'm trying to work with, you know, football coaches and teachers and parents, and whatever, and like the people that follow me on their nutrition habits, because I'm very familiar with that world. My dad has been coaching football and teaching PE at the high school that I went to for my entire life. I have known everyone that, he's, that has been on a football staff with him, like literally my entire life. I coached on that staff with them know how they operate i know all the struggles with their nutrition their training and their lifestyles like things along those lines and so then i can put that into a really candid message on twitter and write long threads about i mean i could talk at length about everything that is going on and what they should be doing and, and so that's been great for me it's also been great uh networking too. um i think if i was on there to get moms to come to my 6 p.m class it would be horrendous it, uh, i mean that's what facebook is for and so you do have to figure out like what you're going to use each channel for. And I think it's probably a good idea to narrow it down to like, see where you're best at creating, because if you're not good at writing, Twitter's gonna suck for you, right? If you're good at being like funny or you're like more attractive as a person or you like lift a lot or you can articulate well when you speak, Twitter, maybe Instagram at this point, like the reels and everything would be a good, good place for you. If you're working with, um, you know, high level professionals than maybe getting on LinkedIn and tweeting and, and uh, you know, posting a lot about fitness and how you can help those individuals would be great. But overall, and I, I was talking about this with someone the other day who's uh, asking me advice about um, adding strength and conditioning to her, uh, she, she does like hitting lessons for softball players. 
and she was getting, wanting to add strength conditioning to that um, as an in-person offer. And she was like, well, I know that I can go online and I could probably do pretty well there, uh, which is true, but it's like the wrong step most of the time. I think that uh, social media is a microphone or a megaphone, right? And until you figure out exactly what you want to say, you don't want to start screaming it. Unless you're very comfortable building like in public in front of everybody, um, I think that it can get detrimental. In fact, it happened a couple of weeks ago. I had a number of people hit me up through DMs and everything like that. And dude, I just started getting unorganized and lost because I wasn't sure exactly of how to make that move. Because I didn't, I wasn't training a ton of people online at that time. Um, and, and you know, I picked up and retained a handful of them and everything, and that's been great. And they they've gotten some success and everything like that. Uh, but unless you have systems ready to go, or you're ready to just like commit a ton of time to that, because that's separate from what I even have going on here at the gym. Um, it's going to be a struggle, I, but I do think that it is a powerful tool to leverage what you want to be saying and how to get clients um, if you already have the offer and the delivery already systemized. Yeah. Social media has really, especially like Twitter, has really populates, you know, strength coaches, especially because it gives us, like you said, the microphone, the megaphone, whatever, to speak into existence some of our you know some of our thoughts and stuff like that you know should we you know is a bad training conditioning program better than not having one at all you know start you know and i told you about this morning you know had about 20 30 you know comments people kind of you know it's stuff like that you know i think it's kind of giving us a better direction of where strength conditioning is going you know we're kind of getting away from chasing numbers and all those other stuff and we're more gravitating towards quality movements you know the longevity of athletes so yeah yeah, yeah no I, I i do think that it's got it's got some good conversations going i would venture to say that if you're a young coach that it would probably be good to either not interact publicly on twitter as much and get into the DMs if you want to connect with people and if you want to learn. You know, I have this list of certs that I want to do. How can I implement that and implement it effectively? And if I can't, then like, does it really make sense for me to go ahead and do that? Um, I think following people is great, uh, but I think that a lot of things can kind of get misconstrued. And I, I think one of the more frustrating things, especially as a young coach, is seeing people that you view in a place of authority disagree with each other indirectly. And so you get this feed of like, I have 10 tweets in front of me and three of them say contradictory things about the exact same thing. Then you start to question and go like, you know, oh my, what, is, what I'm doing right? Like, do I even know how to program? Like, am I an idiot? What, what don't I know, right? Instead of just getting in and like training the people that are in front of you and seeing what works. The, best programs I've ever written for people in terms of my confidence with it, in terms of their results have resulted from me just saying like, dude, I've been doing this for a while. I'm educated in it. I know that what this is, I have a good idea that this is going to get us to our, the point that we want to be at. It's not dangerous. It's it, within the principles of training and conditioning or you know, personal training or whatever it is. Um, and then just going and writing and doing and staying within your own head. I think that 
often we have way too many outside influences that end up getting mixed up. And so then you get into this analysis paralysis, you, you know, you kind of question what you're doing, even in, during the session, you question it like on a day basis. And then you go and you deliver it to someone who has absolutely no idea about strength and conditioning. And they're like, oh, that's what we're doing today? Cool. Like, and they go and do it, right? Because I think that's what we need to get to. That's the point we need to get to at the end of the day. So I think that Twitter can be a great tool. I think that it can also cause a lot of insecurity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's kind of peel back a little bit. So yeah. what is your process for monitoring your clients, whether that's remotely in person, you know, in the weight room, when they're training or with nutrition, because you do offer that, you know, what's your kind of process for monitoring your clients, I guess, progress in both those realms? Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of my clients, I keep playing this by like, unhealthy. But I, just, I just keep a constant communication. With them. Like, it's just a constant conversation of what's going on, and especially for nutrition. Um, most of them, I like, will not assign but will suggest right a range of best practices in terms of where you're at and where you want to be going and how much you should be eating times maybe we adjust kind of what's on your grocery list we just look at some different things kyle for example dude one of the changes that we made early on was he was going to jersey mike subs and uh getting same kind of order basically every time and uh he's confused as to why like he wasn't he wasn't losing weight as quickly as he wanted to be right and so one of the earliest changes that we made was on his sandwich we just looked at his order and he had it mike's way which i don't know if you got there's some mics out there but it's like dude, okay perfect so it's got the olive oil the vinegar all of that on it so we had olive oil on it he also had avocado on it, right i was like dude just take one off like if you like the avocado keep it if you like the oil keep it but if you take the oil out and you leave the avocado sandwich it's going to taste exactly the same um very small changes like that but in terms of like nutrition if it's a weight loss client we'll look at basically the uh, ideal rate of loss right uh basically we'll average that out over every two weeks and if it's not tracking within whatever the you know rate is that we had set upon to hit our goal within the time frame then we'll go ahead and address either like kind of the macros and everything like that in terms of like do we need to make a change but you're actually eating Right. Do we need to just monitor that a little bit more or do we just need to make a general lifestyle change where maybe we're being more active on the weekends because we weren't before? Maybe it's addressing alcohol intake or anything along those lines. Um, so really, it just depends on what the you know, relative KPIs are for that. So if we're doing something that like you know, somebody wants to lose weight. Do I care what their back squat is? No, not necessarily. So we set out a range of KPIs and we just track those basically bi-weekly. Um, but more often than that, I just kind of keep the constant conversation going okay yeah uh something kind of popped my head when you're talking about this so especially working with sports teams right i work with football and track and i think we might be getting um women's basketball in the weight room right now and it's kind of a uphill battle when we talk about kids with their nutrition okay because one either you know the parents make meals for them or they got their own money and they're going to go to McDonald's anyways. So how do you get buy-in on the nutrition side of things? How do you get kids 14 to 18 years old to buy in into a nutrition program? I mean, honestly, that's probably just a question for somebody else because I'm not working with that population. Okay. So I wouldn't have a great insight on that necessarily when I was coaching at a high school level. Like 
you know, do your best to give them again, like kind of best practices and have a, have a conversation with them. I, I would have kids that they were like seemingly like dehydrated and stuff at practice and it's you know hot out here in August and everything like that and we're on the field and I'm like, dude, what did you what did you eat today? And they're like bag of hot Cheetos and I had I'm like, having water? And he's like, Yeah, a whole bottle. I'm like, a whole bottle, bro. <laughs> like all day you weigh two hundred and fifty pounds. How do you have a whole bottle of water? So um I I think the the thing that's gonna create buy in is creating trust. Right. And so it's just creating the relationship first and then having honest conversations. Obviously, that's not as scalable like on that level when you have, I mean, at some point, I think we had how 140 kids total, 110 kids, something like that in the whole program. And so trying to have a one-on-one conversation with all of them every single day to the depth that it needs to be for them to get to buy-in specifically to nutrition um, is going to be very, very difficult. If you have a culture that's already established, I think what might be good is like, you do have big group things kind of starting to roll in pieces of that you know maybe it's when you're doing like um you know either offensive and defensive meetings something like that you start with like a little piece of it um and you go through kind of maybe some modules that either you paid out uh you know preseason or anything along those lines uh but then too it's like like you mentioned it's, it's parents right so it's gonna have to be getting into their heads and it's that's gonna be the most difficult piece especially depending on what the culture of your school is Right, absolutely. Uh, let's kind of talk about technology for a moment. So do you integrate technology into your strength conditioning program? Um, not in particular. We, we track some stuff, but it's not like you're talking about like velocity-based training and things along those lines. Anything from, you know, VBT, you use like Team Builder, Rack Coach, Dasher, anything like that? Oh, I see. Um, so we use a true coach for my personal training clients. Um, okay. which is, um, it's I wouldn't say it's even similar to team builder, but it's a program delivery system. So um we'll track just different metrics within there and those are things that basically are like um it's it's really just based on client input. So uh for the gym, uh we have a true coach that we use for personal training delivery and then uh, Zen Planner is our member management software and we uh put our all of our workouts for classes inside of that and then all of our that come to classes can track those. Obviously, that's a little bit more inconsistent because it just depends on when people are coming to class. I got some people that'll come um, to our strength conditioning class like six times a week, and then I have other people that'll show up like once a month unless I like actually like, get on their ass. And uh, so th- those numbers are a little bit more inconsistent, at least across like the board. If I was going to like, kind of track the entire that we have in here, but on a one-on-one basis, those are basically the only two that we use. Um, on top of that, like I said, it's going to be based on individuals. Like, so we're tracking KPIs and maybe we might get some biometrics, which is body fat percentage and everything like that. But, you know, working in the general population, like 99% of people have a couple of different goals and typically it's that they want to get out of pain, right? Um, and so maybe it's doing some corrective exercises, things like that, which is like, how are you going to measure that aside from like, hey, relatively, like, does your back hurt today? Um, and then, you know, if you want to look better naked, they maybe want to be a little so um you know i'm I'm lucky with that side of it where like there are guys that are far smarter than me doing really cool things with a lot of technology that i wouldn't even have a clue i see brain and pig post a lot about like their math and shit that they're doing and that all looks like magic spells to me so um <laughs> no we don't we, we keep it pretty simple in here um because that's i mean that's what we're doing it's very simple we're, we're training right it's not like 
anything that I, I need to be presenting to anybody at any point. Yeah. Um, so you're working with mostly gen pop right now, right? Yeah. So how different is that than training an athlete? Oh my God. Um, I, like night and day. It's, it's, it's cool. Cause you can relate to people, but like the way that you need to approach that is different too, because we're going to start need to explain it, like the why it's people. Now, some people are way more bought in and being here. And so that makes it a lot easier than if you have a kid whose parents put them in football because they don't want to like hang out with them or whatever during the summer. Um, but you know, the, the approach is definitely different. I think that when you are, um, a coach at like the high school level, let's say, right, you already have sort of this established like authority with kids. Um, sometimes you don't, sometimes you don't respect that. But when you're in the private sector, like people come in and, you know, they might fight you on sales meeting or anything along those lines. You have to go ahead and like start to prove that authority in some form. And typically that's through some sort of results. Um, I think then too, like when you're, you're talking about like programming, like, need to make all the accommodations for like if you have a kid that's 14 and still growing right then like knowing kind of where they're at and their development is a lot more important than someone coming in when you know maybe they're 25 and they're actually like pretty prime and you know, they, get, they get a lot of rest they have a decent job and everything along those lines so um I, I think on both ends it can be very very difficult very stressful but uh and then it can also be very rewarding just depending on the individual that um but in, in terms of programming, it's going to look a lot different. Because like I said, like everybody's got a little bit different. Views, whereas like if, you know, you're getting, you're preparing someone to be an offensive lineman, right? And they can be literally anybody as long as they're performing at a high level. And that's fantastic. Um, but if you come in here and like, you know, my mom actually comes to a 5 a.m. class every single day. Uh, if she wants to lose 30 pounds and I'm like, dude, but your clean went up 35 pounds. She's going to be like, I don't care because that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> um, so the programming considerations are very. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you start working with gym pop, right? So you're, they're getting resistance training or what, however you're programming, right? How do you keep them motivated to come in? Because yeah. especially like if we're working like uh, with a certain individual, right? They want to lose twenty pounds, whatever, but they fit better in the clothes, but the scale remains the same. I mean, how do you keep someone motivated? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so it, you know that's that's again just having like discussions with people uh, during class or just on a one-on-one -on -one basis and continuing like that. That's part of that messaging too, just putting that out on social media and kind of discussing these different topics with people. Um, what we do though, actually, is the way that we plan our training programs. So, and I can find out or whatever, but um, basically, we go in like little three week blocks. At the end of a 12 week kind of cycle, then we do come in and we max out and we do some conditioning tests and things like that. And people um, join the 1500 pound, they get into these different things. We test out five lifts we'll go back squat, bench press, uh, clean, jerk, and deadlift. If you get, you know, I think it's between 500 and 2000 pound total. Uh, between those five lifts, then you join the club. Um, and that's a pretty awesome day. We come in on a Saturday. That's all we do that day. Um, it's, it's really cool. And then, you know, during each session, like week to week, because we have things in Zen Planner where we're tracking, people can then see that progress, right? And so they can see that they are getting stronger. They can see that they're getting a little bit more 
efficient. You know, it's not unlike CrossFit where they can see that they're getting like better at standardized workouts and things along those lines. Maybe their thousand meter road time got better. Um, maybe they're noticing that when you know we assign, hey, you got you're doing twenty calories on the rower, that that's getting a little bit faster or it's getting a little bit easier. They're able to keep their pacing, with their breath a little bit easier like that. Um, and so keeping them motivated really just comes down to being present in the session and noticing like, hey, this person did this last week and this week we're doing this. Wow, isn't that different, right? Because I've had people, like I've made mistakes before of not being that observant at times um, to the point that if you're not getting fired up about it, then they don't even know, which is like kind of an upside and downside of being the private sector. If you're dealing with high school kids, 100% of the time they know like, dude, that guy can bench 315 or something. And they like set that in their head as like, okay, I want to go and do this because I associate that with someone that I think is really cool or a good athlete or whatever it is, or maybe an upperclassman, right? And so you want to be better than them. You want to be getting competitive, right? Adults, absolutely no reference point for that. I had at one point a gal that went from coming in here, not having, having ever back squatted and back squatting like, around 100 pounds or so right about 12 weeks later she squatted 205 um and with awesome form and obviously that's not based on strength gains it's, you know, technique and, and um, neurological adaptations and everything along those lines she has no idea and i don't need to tell her that but like telling her that like you increase your back squat 100 percent over 12 weeks is insane um but she didn't know right and so she wasn't excited she's was just like oh okay here and so getting fired up about stuff like that and telling people what's important, right? Um, and what's important to might differ or whatever, but um, you can only control what's going on within your wall. So if you want people to stay excited about what they're doing, then you need to stay excited about what they're doing. And I think that just comes down to a daily basis of being present. Yeah, absolutely. I was always kind of curious about that because how you motivate athlete is way different than how you motivate a person. Right. Okay. Athletes look at, you know, their idols on, you know, the big scale, NFL, NBA, whatever. They're seeing that, you know, J.J. Watt can do 500 pound squats for reps. Yeah. And that's what they stick. Like you said, that's what they stick with. But for someone that wants to just, you know, be overall healthy, yeah. you know, you're telling them, well, you, you increase your back squat by, you know, 100 percent. You know, that's unreal. You right. Know, like, oh, you know, OK. Right. So. And it's, yeah. And it, you know, it's more than that too. Like you said, like I, and people who are trying to lose weight, like it, it is very simple, right? When they come in, just like straight up telling them that you noticed, right? Like, Hey, maybe, it, maybe it's someone that doesn't, cause we do things that will work. I have people that I work one-on-one with. I have people that do one-on-one and classes that I have people that only do classes, right? With the people that are in classes, we don't get as much measurement for them. So even like the main things along those lines, um, so it's, it's very simple. They come in and you notice and you see like, Hey, have you lost weight? Like have you weighed in recently? And they're like, Oh no, not really. I'm like, dude, like, I don't know. You kind of should, because like, I can notice like right up here to the shoulders, everything, your, face, your jawline, even, um, definitely noticing that you're, you know, you're looking good. I know you wanted to lose those 10 pounds. It's awesome. Good job. Um, and just kind of caring about people in that sense, but like, you know, taking a step further and observing and noticing and like, um, you know, just, just telling Right. That's That's what's going to keep them motivated. I, people, people are not buying training programs, right? They're buying into the coach. They're buying into the results and everything along those lines. Um, but the results, you know, if we make it outcome based are going to be like so far away for some of you. 
people. If they come in and they want to lose 50 pounds, that might take them a year or so to do it efficiently. Um, and so they're going to stick around through, you know, eight months if you're just like kind of ignoring them and not telling them like a job along the way. No, absolutely not. I think that they're, if you look at really like any boutique studio that's doing, uh, doing big things, you know, whether it's berries or orange theory or whatever, um, they do set up these things that look very similar to max out days, right? Or to these different benchmarks and milestones. And so you need to start creating your culture and creating the words that you're going to use and the things that you're going to place value on um, to, to get people to buy into that. And then on top of that, it's just creating a one-on-one relationship so that they have a better relationship with you and with the brand than they do with the results of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about coaches for a moment. Top five coaches that influence you in strength and conditioning. Five coaches. Um, I mean, definitely Morgan Bergen, um, that guy, the way that he was able to explain the why behind things to me, not only as an athlete, but as one of my, as as I was intern, um, was incredible and definitely like has a big part of why I even continued to get deeper into strength conditioning. Um, PJ Nessler, uh, XPT, he's put out some awesome stuff. He's got a lot of really cool breath work. Um, you, should, you should look into XPT and, and what they're doing. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you're into doing Squattober, Aaron Osmus, right, at USC, um, it's more like Squattober. I think that's fantastic. Um, and then, you know, from there, it's kind of a lot of people that are more local to me that I, I just interact with. Um, I think that there are a lot of people that don't have a huge name on social media that are going to give you a really, really big benefit in just having conversations with them. And even some people in your local area doing things that don't look like the thing that you're doing, right? If they're running a boot camp class, but they have 60 people in each class, figure out why those 60 people love being there, right? It doesn't always have to come down to programming. And it could be people that are bad at programming. Like, bad is also relative. Like you said, is it good to, is it better to run a bad string conditioning program or string conditioning program at all? Uh, that's always relative. So I, I would get into like you know, talking to people that have a little bit different experience and a little bit different expertise than, than what you have. Um, but those are probably, I don't even think that I've made a list of the top five, to be honest with you. I know during one of my internships, that was kind of a uh, assignment that we had was to come up with 10 people um, that maybe you should follow on social media. Um, if we're talking about like more maybe the bodybuilding side. I, I love all the guys of RP Strength. So Dr. Mike Isretel is fantastic. Um, Lane Norton, the information that he puts out is awesome. My personal weightlifting coach, Sam Chang, um, he's out here in Southern California as well. And then uh, Sean Waxman, who he worked, worked under too, um, for weightlifting coaching. Um, yeah, I mean, that would, that would probably round out my list there. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, kind of last question here. So oftentimes in strength and conditioning, right, we're, we're busy, we're doing whatever, and we at times feel a little bit more stressed or a little bit burnout even. So how do you handle stress and burnout? Um, okay, so this is interesting because I've definitely experienced this quite a bit, and especially running a facility, right? Um, the, actually, this was like church like a couple of weeks ago. Um, the number one thing that you have to realize is that the moment that you start to feel obligated to something, 
right, is the moment that'll start to turn to resentment. And resentment only stems from entitlement, right? If you are continuously, like if you, if you continuously express gratitude towards what you're doing, it ends up being nearly impossible to become burnt out or exhausted with something. Um, and the times that we like stop doing that, the times when we get up and we're like, oh my God, I have to go do this morning, right? Or I'm not getting paid what I want to be, right? Then you just need to start evaluating and say like, first of all, I'm lucky that I even get to go and do this. And you can kind of hack the thought process in your head and say it a different way and say like, well, I'm the only one that can help these people at this time right now with this thing, which makes you feel a little bit better motivated to go and do that. I think the other thing too is then just staying disciplined. And then like we were talking about with programming, it's having a path. So uh, Brett Bartholomew talks about periodizing your career, right? If you know where you kind of want to be going and you're frustrated with where you're at right now, evaluate why that is right? And see, do you want to make a change, right? Okay, well, what can you change? What can you change first? Prioritize that and move along through there. I think another huge piece, and I get into this as well, is way it's taking your own needs down to like the last priority, right? The worst that I have performed as a human and the worst that the business has performed have been times when I have let my nutrition, my training, go way on the back burner and it's just like oh maybe if i can get it in or maybe i'll go weeks without training or whatever and it makes me feel horrendous so i think those are two big pieces and then um also setting boundaries right and especially if you're doing it like in the private sector i have a tendency to especially when, <coughs> when we first opened was I would get all my communication mixed up because I would have people email me, I'd have people text me, I'd have people Instagram me, like DM on my personal and then on the I would start getting mixed up with things. And it was like important things. Like people would message me and they're like, hey, I want to join or I want to cancel or I want to like whatever. And I would totally forget about it and not do it and not set their membership up correctly. Um, but mostly it was because I was responding at 11, 11 p.m. or whatever. Somebody like you know, just remembered to text me or whatever. And I immediately thought, well, because this is related to the gym, then it has to be urgent, right? Um, I'll tell you right now that there is like zero emergencies in running a gym. There's like, I'm not a firefighter. There's, it's not an emergency. Things can wait. Uh, and it is setting those boundaries. It's setting up, uh, John Davis and I have talked a lot about this, is like setting your schedule and saying like getting everything systemized like Wednesdays are my days when I do intake for new clients if somebody wants to come in on Monday I'm sorry I don't do it on that day I do my training on Monday and I do you know whatever on Tuesday and setting up those boundaries and then respecting them and remembering that your boundaries are for you to respect and not for other people to respect you have to teach other people how to be treating you uh, I think that all of that kind of combined is what's going to end up leading to that burnout and feeling obligated and feeling like this is not what I want to be doing. This isn't how I want it to be going. And it's like, well, it's only going like that for right now. And you are hundred percent in control of changing that and just having a few conversations with people to change your schedule or change your fulfillment or change your pay or change whatever it ends up being. Um, and it just takes a little bit of like kind of stepping back, prioritizing yourself and making sure that you're taking first instead of being a martyr because the only where the only place that being a martyr gets you is dead yeah um you know being the coach just in general high school collegiate private sector i think every coach is start is going to run into this at some point in their Definitely. career because Definitely. you spend so so much time with people and you spend so much time in the weight room and then 
eventually you're going to hit a wall and you're going to be like, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I'm stressed. I'm tired of this. You know, I'm, I'm burnt out. I don't want to go back in the weight room, whatever. So that's actually really good advice for people that are going to be experiencing that. You yeah. know, go uh, ahead. I think, I, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, too, um, one of the more important things for me that's very, very helpful is, like, get out of the weight room and go get some other hobbies. Because if you're like, if that's all you want to do, because like for a long time, that was my hobby, but because it wasn't my main job, it was like lifting, right? Like I was, I was doing some sort of teaching, I was coaching, but it was different than you know, what I'm doing now. Um, I worked at a nutri shop for a while. And so like these things are adjacent, right? But uh, it's, it's not like exactly the same thing. And so you can kind of start to compartmentalize. So I've gotten into snowboarding the last three years and I absolutely love snowboarding. I'm very excited. I was actually lucky enough to my uh, last personal training client I just got a couple of days ago owns a snow court shop down the street that I buy all my stuff from anyway. So big score there. Um, but I, I really think that there is a lot to be said there. Like if you were spending all of your time, including your leisure time in the same place, and maybe it's not even like the same physical location, that would be even worse. But if you're just going from like a gym to work to a gym to have fun to home, like, yeah, you're going to get sick of being at gyms. It's too much. You got to get some other hobby outside of the realm of traditional like fitness and go experience your fitness elsewhere. Go surf, go bike, go like walk your dog. I don't care. Like do something else and get an actual hobby that's not just staying fit. Right. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of coaches that I talked to, they talked about they can't go back into the weight room because it stresses them out, right? They walk in the gym and they see plates on the floor. They see dumbbells not in the right, you know, rack spots, whatever. And it, you know, it stresses them out. You know, they're, they walked in. It's like, okay, I'm going I'm going to de-stress from here. They walk yeah. in see those things. I mean, it's like a trigger. Like yeah. it, it automatically just stresses them out. So they have to walk away. So. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think, I think it all kind of ties in together. It's like, I mean, you really don't like being where you're at and you kind of wake up in the morning like i mean i got dude i'm waking up at 4 a.m too it's a lot of other guys that do this and you know we got a class at five so i wake up at four and that's not easy a lot of the days if you are dreading going to the spot that you're going to be at and then that also happens to be like the only thing that you do for enjoyment guess what you're going to stop doing the thing that you do for enjoyment and then that's all just going to come full circle and now, oh, I haven't trained in a while. I don't want to be here. Uh, my sleep's shit. Like, I'm trying to escape and do, do these other things. You just become miserable after a while. So I, I think getting outside, having some hobbies, obviously schedule is not ideal for most people. I mean, shit, I've been here since 4.30 this morning. It's about 4 o'clock right now. Um, I haven't done a whole lot else today. I got my oil changed, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, but if I didn't like being here, this would be pretty miserable. Right. Absolutely. Well, Jack, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing the time and giving us your insight on everything in the private sector, you know, from business to nutrition and everything like that, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. Name of strength, stay strong, and have a day today. I appreciate you, Jack. I appreciate you too.